0: You're listening to For Fork's Sake, and I'm Beck Perino. Please join me for conversations about the emotional space between why we cook and why we eat, and have a forking good time. I am so fortunate to be surrounded by so many incredible foodies who share a similar ethos and passion when it comes to food, but no one more so than Gabrielle Theor, who I have really clicked with over the years and been inspired by on so many levels. Gab is a food lover, a Thermomix pro, a fantastic blogger, and a wonderful mother to two gorgeous boys. She operated an extremely successful Instagram page, Thermomama, up until the birth of her second son, and consistently reflected a positive space for cooking with whole foods and the benefits of the Thermomix. Gab is now back doing what she loves and what she does best, sharing her cooking adventures on underscore Gabrielle's kitchen and I am so thrilled to see such passion and flair in her kitchen once more. Hey, Gab. Hey, Beck. Thanks for joining me for a chat today. No worries. I'm very happy to be here. All right. Let's start off by talking about how we first met, because I think that's an interesting story in itself. So <laughs> cast your mind back a few years now. <laughs> And um, I was sitting in my kitchen and all of a sudden I heard these bing, 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 bing. bing, bing. And I was like, I'm not using my thermomix. Does someone else around you have a thermomix? So I put two and two together and I said to Daniel, I was like, Dan, I think the next door, the new next door neighbours have a Thermomix and I was so excited (laughs) because I had only just recently got my Thermomix and for those of you who don't know what a Thermomix is, Google it because it's an awesome tool for your kitchen. Um, But, yeah, I was just so excited having just got my Thermomix to have someone that I can ask Thermomix (laughs) questions to. So then I was outside one day, and yourself and your hubby and your little one just walked by, and we started talking. And then I asked you straight out, "Do you have a thermomix?" And that's kind of where we started our conversation. So um, yeah, I think it was really nice to have you as a neighbour, even though it was only a short time, because we really bonded over food in that in that time. We went we went through some pretty massive life changes together as well, which was, I think, um, we pretty, did. pretty defining for our friendship. Um, mm-hmm. But I quickly got to know more about you. So you were actually quite a successful blogger during that period of time. yeah, yep. yes. I was
1: a food blogger. Um, and you actually inspired me to try different foods as well, which I would normally never try to cook or even blog about, but you did open my mind about gluten-free foods and um, vegan foods as well.
0: Yeah, that's right, because when we met, I was on this um, crazy restrictive diet because I was trying to conceive, and, yep. yeah, I was, like, completely gluten, dairy, sugar, um, caffeine, alcohol, blah, 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 everything free, so free. I wasn't able to eat cheese, so I was eating a lot of vegan cheese and... Um, Yeah, so, and I was big on fermenting. I remember we spoke a lot about sauerkraut and kombucha. Yes, I had my urn and I was always bubbling different flavours of kombucha away and exploding bottles in the kitchen. It was, yeah, it was really fun. And I remember I gave you a few scobies, but I think you killed them.
1: Yes, I didn't <laughs> succeed in that, but I'm starting again. Yes, this I'm excited to season.
0: that you're starting. So I'm going to give it another go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we both found um, the, the Thermomix can be something that you can completely get lost in and use for every single meal, but it's also just a great tool to have for just um, even, like, thinking about our own cultural dishes. Um, it just mm-hmm. makes light of work that was... that usually is quite hard like any doughs that need kneading or things that need really fine chopping the Thermomix just comes in really handy because it's so high power that doesn't mean that like I haven't I don't believe I've used it to replace some things like sometimes I still like getting my hands into dough but there are other times yes. where I'm like well I could do half a batch in the Thermomix and half a batch by hand and it would you know and then I'll have enough to feed like a few families or something like that so <laughs> Yeah, so um, I wanted to, from there, like I think we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the thermo mix, but yeah, it was probably the conversation starter for our friendship. But I want to first know about um, your upbringing and what food was like in your house when you were still living at home when you were growing up.
1: So my food story it's a little bit mixed to be honest I have a love-hate relationship growing up with food because when I was little say maybe between four and eight I was actually malnourished Um, I was severely underweight never ate my food we had you know households um, so I grew up with a family of four girls and being the youngest of four we had this rule that if you didn't finish your dinner, you weren't allowed to leave the table. <laughs> and I had the plainest palette you could ever see. If my mum made pasta, I would not want salt. So I literally just wanted butter on it. Um, I don't know why I was like that. Maybe I was being fussy or it was for attention. I have no mm. idea. But I struggled to eat my breakfast lunch and dinner um and so yeah I was very tiny I was very underweight and had really really low energy as well um with my mum's cooking I feel that she never really knew about nutrients and what was good for you what was bad for you um and a lot of her food will. Obviously it would be Maltese because I've got the Maltese background, so baked baked pastas and dishes like that. But she'd also go to Chicken Tonight, the sauces mm. where pre-made sauces where it was very, had, uh, always had like a sweet taste to it um, and I could never eat it. Um, and I feel for my mum because she was trying to um, cater to four, five different, taste buds so sometimes she would create meals with three different options because we were all someone didn't like mushrooms someone loved mushrooms someone didn't like broccoli so she would have to cater because we're such a large family to all four of us and I think she would get overwhelmed with what to cook for dinner which is the hardest thing I think anyone questions every day (laughs) but um I had a very, very hard um, love-hate relationship growing up with food. I never enjoyed it, never enjoyed eating, Um, yeah, until I was a teenager, I guess, and then I had some appreciation for food where my mum would actually come to all four of us and make us cook for the family. And, you know, that's where you, as a teenager, go, "Oh, I would like to try this or I would like to try that. And doing hospitality in high school, school I found a love for food um learning things that you know I wouldn't learn from my mum and I just I just found a new love for it and that's what made me go down the cooking aisle and go become an apprentice chef as well so I had that love for food when I aged not growing up I never appreciated it I never um enjoyed mealtime. It was a chore for me.
0: Yeah, see, that's really interesting. So like, first of all, I applaud your mum for making so many different meals, because (laughs) I've spoken about this in a few of my conversations um, that I've had for the podcast. But I, yeah, I just can't fathom having to put that much energy into three meals where I know how much love and time goes into Mm -hmm. one. So um, yeah, but I also like that you mentioned that when you were able to get into the kitchen yourself that that's when you really started to appreciate food more because I think experience and having that hands on um, that hands-on experience in, in particular is what really gets us to appreciate ingredients and we start to say, hey, this is my time that I'm putting into it. So I I really hope that everybody likes this. And I, even if it's not the most successful dish, I'm going to pretend that I like it because <laughs> I put so much effort into it. But I, I really feel like, um, yeah, When once like I got into the kitchen at a very, very young age, like I've, I've mentioned before, like my mum taught me how to make the sauce when I was like six or something. So I was already Aww. up on a stool or sitting on the bench and trying to, you know, make sure that I was doing everything right and she was checking over my shoulder. So I was very interested from a young age um, in in the kitchen. But did you, so as you, as you got a little bit older and started to get that knowledge, did any of your mum's dishes start to stand out a little bit more? Did you start to appreciate some of the cultural dishes a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so like obviously like those dishes that mum made that, you Know you think of home when then when she makes them, and she used to make this soup called brodo, which I think is in Italy as well. Yeah, we have make brodo, it, yeah, yeah, very simple soup. And it just to me that just is home, it's so hearty, it's so simple. But when she would make that, I would we would all have at least two servings of it because it's just so comforting and wholesome, and you're using. Literally, all your ingredients in your fridge and getting rid of them all, but it's just really tasty. And another dish my mum would make so, typical European where they're trying to save, you know, money and, you know, ingredients that you've overcooked from spag bowl and stuff like that. We, it's called taria and, and it's leftover spaghetti and she would mix up eggs and, and parsley and sometimes you add bacon and parmesan you just mix it up and then you put it in a fry can and kind of cook it like a pancake and so all the pasta from the outside is really crispy and then you serve it and you put chili flakes and Yum. parmesan on top and seriously it's the most simple dish but it's so tasty that sounds like and something i've I'm actually got it like. it's so simple because you know how you always when you cook pasta you just got. Overboard, and you cook way too much pasta for yeah, the sauce that you have. So my mum would leave it in the fridge, and next day we would have that, and we would all look forward to it. It was like the yummiest dish, um and that's one thing that I always remember. And I even cook now for my boys, and we all love it because it's simple, but it come it just remember it reminds me of time that I had when I was little, and. Um, they, that was something that i did enjoy eating which yeah. most things i didn't so that's something i hold close to my heart
0: yeah i always think about um how my husband my husband's got a, a favorite dish as well that um he always talks about and i've never made it for him if i'm honest um,
1: he what? likes he likes
0: <laughs> fried pasta so um basically It's pretty much, it's similar to what you just mentioned, but it's it's a lot more simple actually. You just get basically all the leftover sauce and all the leftover pasta from the night before. You mix it up, put it in the fridge, and the next day you throw it in the pan so it goes all crispy on the outside. You dump on a bunch of parmigiano cheese and, yeah, it ends up just being, it's like a fried pasta bake. So to me it's just more effort. Just shove that thing in the oven and it will be just as good. But he likes (laughs) it in the frying pan. So um, You need that five. Yeah, well anyway, so that's something that he loved, but he was a fussy eater growing up too, and my mother and my mother in law always tells me how um he had like four dishes that he would willingly eat and mm-hmm. she just did them on repeat. My husband's an only child, so of course you know she only had the one to please and because he was so fussy that was just the way it was she would just be like okay so he likes drumsticks like this so we'll do it like that he likes the fried pasta so I'll do it like that or his normal pasta likes schnitzel so I'll make schnitzel you know the goteletti we call it um mm-hmm. you know so she always tells me that he he basically just was very very bland and unadventurous before he met me so yeah, but that was me. <laughs> I just wonder because, see, my parents were strict with the table as well and I and I don't remember being particularly fussy. Like I had a variety of things um, very early on, but there were things that I would refuse and my mum and dad would be like, well, you're not moving until you eat or you'll go to bed. That was their threat. They will be like, you'll yeah. go to bed. So you just started to um, get this, like I know for me, for there was a certain period of time where the dinner table became just negative unless there was something put in front of me that I knew I was going to enjoy and eat all of it I was always just like oh crap that's what she's cooking like I'd get home from primary school see what was on the stove like I had this real thing about rice when I was very young like when I was in primary school I couldn't I couldn't deal with rice like I didn't want rice it just was not the texture for me now I love rice but um yeah and I would all already the anxiety would start to to come in. i would be like we're gonna end up in a fight mum and dad aren't gonna let me watch my favorite tv show after dinner because I'm gonna have to go to bed because I'm not gonna eat this so did you mm. ever feel like because your parents were quite firm and wouldn't let you leave the table until you ate something that you started to get a bit of a negative perception of food and the role that it played in family dynamics
1: I think so like Don't get me wrong, family dinner, when you're all gathered around the table, it's such a beautiful experience. And we used to play games while we were eating dinner, like just food games of how to spell words on the back of the cordial bottle or sauce bottle. We used to test each other. But when it actually came to mealtime, I think I really struggled when I was young and I put this perception that it was this negative time where it wasn't going to be, Oh, I'm nourishing my body right now, or I'm feeding it for energy. It was like, it's a chore. I don't want to do this chore. It's not that I love what I'm doing. I just don't want to do it and I'm not going to do it. And I was so stubborn that, um, yeah, I I would just literally sit while they cleaned the table and the bowl was still in front of me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we do as kids. We we'll just like really push those <laughs> boundaries. We can see it with our own kids now.
1: <laughs> I know. I yeah, know. so
0: I think, yeah, I really find that very interesting. But now you have this really amazing open mind when it comes to, to food and this beautiful ethos around food. And I just wonder what you think contributed to um, your mentality around food today because like I know you we've we've both been through some stages which we'll talk about but for the most part you have a, a pretty open mind when it comes to food today
1: so I think obviously when I worked in the kitchen and was learning from professionals um, just to see how food can be adapted so easily and how it can create literally artworks on a plate and how you can change up the palette so easily um that really intrigued me and one thing I remember on my first day as an apprentice I don't know if I've told you this actually no. but the first day of working in a professional kitchen I walked in and the sous chef said showed me around the kitchen and he said so what are you gonna be and I looked at him going what are you asking me like is this a trick question? (laughs) I don't know what you're really asking me here. Like what? I'm trying to learn how to be a chef. And he goes, no, you've got three options here. You're either going to become a gambler, an alcoholic, or you're going to become depressed. Mm. And I literally sat there and it really just sat in my tummy. And I'm like, well, this is a really quite a dark industry to be in. And as I did it over the years, it is quite dark to work in. There's such a creative flair with being a chef, but you are literally by yourself. You don't see your family and it's um, a really hard industry to work in. And so being shy of 18 and starting that, that was really tough for me. But then as I got out of that, because I met my husband, um, uh, <laughs> He got me out of that kitchen and put me in his. Um, I cre- wanted to create for him and I wanted to feed him and um, I just wanted to create memories. And I think I once I bought my Thermomix, I was more open to trying new things. Mm. And um, I just would literally create only like standard dishes like my mum would do and then I yeah I got more adventurous in the kitchen and to be honest after I met you you really just excited me about food and I was like oh I can try that oh yeah I can do that too and I just had this flair where I'm like oh it's just so um easy like it's it's limitless you can do whatever you want you've just got to do it and when I saw just your perception on food and it just really excited me and I I wanted to try it and I just loved it so much
0: yeah interesting well I'm glad that I that I could help you in that part I think for me it was just the only reason why I believe that I'm so adventurous is because um My mum's parents, so my my maternal non-nono, were very, very big in, in that, like, when we would do a typical traditional salami day, as young kids, we were exposed to what breaking down an entire pig looks like, and, you know, all the offal and organs would go to one side, all the bones would go to another side, you'd have the pig's head over here, you had the little trotters, like, everything was there, then you had the meat that needed to be minced up and nothing was wasted like that was just such a big thing in my mum's family um and my my nonna and nonno were very very good advocates for in terms of teaching me about nose to tail eating because they just had this way of just making anything taste delicious or anything looking appetizing and Um, You know, speaking to Nat um, from The Hungry Greek about this, you you would eat whatever your grandparents put in front of them or some of us would just to please them, just to show that love. So when you're fully immersed in a cultural day like that, you don't think of of everything that you do at home to your mum, like being a fussy, (laughs) like I won't eat rice. But hold on I'll just yeah. go and nibble on a pink trotter um it's, it was weird because they just and the way that you know my grandparents would always explain it was you know this animal died we might as well use the whole thing and like don't get me wrong there are things that I've tasted over the years that I don't particularly have a liking for I mean like I don't look yes. for kidneys and hearts and, and brains that's not I like liver but I, apart from that like I'm not really excited by that much in terms of offal but they taught me even how to, you know, make um, blood sausages, like we call it or and they taught me how to make those, and that's something that I really developed a palate for, so it was really them that got me to be so adventurous, I was like, well, if I can eat organs and and blood and stuff like that, as icky as it might sound, I might be putting some people off right now, but if I can eat all that, then I can try anything, so... Yeah. That's what made me so adventurous. And I guess, um, you know, lots of people that have got that upbringing, they're either turned off or they're right into it and they're like, this is a part of my heritage. And my grandparents had very little when they were living in the south of Italy, so they would not waste anything that, that they could kill or find. They would use it all. So yeah I, I was a think- exposed I guess culturally and that's what made me so willing to try almost anything and I have I've tried some weird stuff but um yeah
1: <laughs> well like my husband's family have actually really influenced me a lot too so meeting my husband shy of 19 um you know they've obviously played a major role in my life and um I come from although I've got four girls in my family I don't really have cousins and aunties and uncles mm. so it was really just the four of us and you know we would have our own traditions but when I met my husband and he would say come over for a barbecue here at I am expecting, oh, okay, two or three people (laughs) and I walk there and then there's, you know, 40 people at a barbecue and it took me so long to adjust because it was a cultural shock for me to Mm -hmm. walk into and that's life for them. It's an everyday life where they would have such a close family and all their cousins are together and experiencing food And it really opened my eyes culturally um, to how people experience food. And I remember, um, you know, you saw me the other day making dolmades. And I remember sitting down with his nunna, his godmother, and she's renowned for her dolmades. And I was like, what is this? Like Mm. I had no idea what vine leaves were and it just sounded really strange to me. And... Everybody loved them doused in Greek yogurt and I asked her to show me how to make them and and I remember just four of us sitting around the table rolling and wrapping the vileys and I said to myself, this is just like such a beautiful experience. Like It's so nice to have people surrounding you and you're creating a dish together and that really resonated with me because I think food is something that can be enjoyed while you're preparing it not just eating it yeah. as well. And I remember Suri's Yaya, my husband's Yaya, he, um, his grandmother, she was just like the best cook you could ever imagine, you know, from a little village and there's no food better than a Yaya's food. And I was kind of, um, because I was the youngest of four, you know, my grandparents We're in Malta and so I never really got to experience their cooking and my grandparents over in Australia, they passed away when I was quite young, Mm -hmm. so I don't have that many memories of them. So experiencing um, my husband's Yaya's food was a whole different story because, one, I was open to food at that stage of my life because I was older and seeing how she cooked so easily and effortlessly and how beautiful it tasted! I said to myself, "I was like, this is it's it's just really special because everyone around that table literally ate every little bit on their plate because it was so delicious." Yeah. And when you look at when we try and cook for our families, it's a struggle sometimes just for you know them to eat their rice or their broccoli. But their food—it's just so simple but so tasty—and I really, she really. They played a major part for me with food because um, I would ask her to show me dishes, and it just, yeah, she always has a special place in my heart because of um, just her love of food. It was just beautiful.
0: There's just a magical bond that happens when you cook with someone, though. I feel like yes. um, when you're learning, there's just so much in that moment um, where that person just becomes, you know, a mentor part of your now life experience and you just take so much of that and um yeah like all the times that I've sat and learned something from a loved one or a friend I've really just just collected that memory and just kept it as so sacred and so important to making me the person that I am so yeah I love that you said that um Suri's Yaya and Nuna have had that influence on you so Yeah. yeah so I think um there's also something in that that when you actually like, similar to your upbringing, like when you actually get involved, that's when you're more likely to sit and want to and want to know. Okay, well, I've just had my hands in this, so I have to see what it tastes like. Like I've noticed that with my with my Aurelio as well. Like if I involve him in the cooking process and I make yeah. it enjoyable and I'm making him taste things as we go. Then he's more inclined to at least try it when we sit down at the table because he's he's seen it. He's seen what we're putting in it. He sees the excitement of every step of the process, and then he will at least give it a go. It might not be his cup of tea texturally. Something's wrong for him, or there's a flavour that's standing out. Like kids are sensitive in that way. But at least if I've involved yeah. him in the process, he he will give it a go. And um, I think there's something in that that we like to we take that much pride in our own efforts that. We have to be mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I showed enough interest to cook it, so I better show enough interest to, to taste it. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty pretty special that you've been able to do that with with Sooty's family. And so now you're in this incredible um, cook all round, but you've got your Maltese influence and you've got your Greek influence there as well. So, yeah, you make killer food, Gab.
1: We've, oh. eaten. we've eaten with you
0: plenty of times no one complains we just sit there silently shoveling the food shoveling food yeah so we're like the biggest the biggest eaters my hubby and I as you guys have seen we, we don't I know. it's there's no small portions in our house yeah, um, it's funny because like I am naturally
1: a snacker yeah, I don't are. eat I'm like I eat like a bird but I eat a lot of snacks like throughout the day and I think that's probably stemmed from my childhood where I um, I would literally just eat little meals and I remember at one stage while we were renovating our house we are living with one of um, Sooty's aunties and she is a fitness coach and would have this beautiful meal after um, during for dinner And after dinner, they would have their dessert straight away. And when I say dessert, it's probably like a piece of chocolate. And I have no sweet tooth at all. So I'm just like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm not going to eat anything. I would go have my shower, get changed in my PJs, and we'd all be watching TV. And 8.30 or 9 o'clock hits and I'm ready for a snack. And I would go to their fridge, get an apple or some fruit, and she would just stare at me going, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm hungry. I want a snack. And she's like, no, you're the last meal you should have is dinner and no snacks. And no matter what I tried, I tried so hard not to have a snack, but I couldn't stop it. Like it was just naturally within me. And I still do it to this day. I would snack after dinner. I just have to do it. It's, That's a metabolic have thing though,
0: Gab. That's just, just a, yeah. you know, and And, you know, the body remembers things too. Like if you were forced to have big meals when you were little and you just could not, you did not have the capacity, like especially if you were explaining that you were malnourished, you had this tiny little stomach then. Only mm. little, it can only take a certain amount of food at once and you and then you're being forced to eat, 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 then that can just put you off. Like it just yeah. meta, metabolically, that's probably just how you are. And to be honest, I was a lot like you too for the mo- most part, like up until I was about 23 and, and got married, I would say that my food intake during the day was actually ridiculously low.
1: I could mm. survive
0: on just an apple through the day and um, then just and have a coffee in the morning, so coffee in the morning or, and a big, big green smoothie or something like that, and then I'd go a whole day with just a piece of fruit, maybe a handful of nuts, a pick of cheese, a dip of, you know, mostly if I was at work or something like that, and then I'd come home and have like a decent-sized dinner and then I'd have to have a snack later on as well. So that was yeah. my day, and it wasn't until I started getting into – Um, the fitness world that I too started to learn about three square meals a day and snacks in between so that's where my appetite started to grow because I actually did a thing where I started to speed up my metabolism and I realized that I had more capacity for food I was working out more I needed more energy I was hungrier so I had my breakfast lunch dinner and snacks in between a protein shake before I went to bed and I did that for years so and you know like so I I changed over time, but um yeah I, I was I was a bit like you, but now I'll just say that I eat reasonably well for the majority of the period of time, but there are moments where we do a big cook up and there's just piles of food in front of us and like. <laughs> but we, it's about balance. Yeah, it, it is. It's like, all about balance. You have to have those times, especially if you're eating low for like five six days a week. Your body needs mm. to refuel. It needs energy. So you're naturally just going to gorge at some point.
1: Yeah, and I think that's totally fine. Like for me personally, like I eat healthy mostly during, during the week and then on the weekends, well, I this month wants mm-hmm. time off. I want to have takeout once a week because yeah. I need a break, you know. I don't want to have to cook every single day. So we have a break and that to me is like my little – break that i don't have to cook and we can displurge splurge on whatever it is and mm. we all just enjoy a little feed
0: yeah no i love that yeah we all need mm-hmm. that it recharges the batteries and gets your yeah. you know, creative juices flowing for the week ahead for cooking as well just yeah it's good it's good for the headspace so I want to go back to talking a little bit about some of those things that we've experienced yeah. together. So like I said before, when we first met, like I was on this really restrictive diet. And another thing that we really connected over was the fact that I was um, – I still ate a lot of meat. Like that's been always a quite a big part of my diet. Um, but during um, during the period of time where we first met – I was, you know, not eating any any dairy, so I started making this vegan cheese, and it seemed to cross over with your vegan phase, Gab. I want to talk yes. about that. Shout out to all the vegans, love your work, really love all your food, and I'm not joking, very strong. I'm not joking about <laughs> that. I do, I do enjoy um, yeah. vegan food, and I've had some really positive influences in that space. Um, but yeah, so I gave you some. Um, bacterial colonies so you could make your own vegan camembert and um, blue vein (laughs) cheese. And I remember my house was like a science experiment. Yeah, I'll have to pop some photos up on the For Fork's Sake podcast, Instagram and Facebook pages, so keep an eye out for for that. I'll pop some photos up of mine and Gab's um, nut-based cheese, which is all the rage, and I must say we perfected it. But do you want to talk me through this vegan stage um, because that was challenging for Dan and I. We'd be outside smoking like whole animals in our, in our, in our wood smoker and sending all of these meat smells wafting over your way and you guys would be like, um, kind of going through this, you know, we're vegans <laughs> now, so and I'd be like, yeah. do you want a piece of pork? <laughs> so what drove you to go down this path? Because it was short. It wasn't it yeah, wasn't it was, yeah. very long, but what I, happened?
1: So it was after I had my first son, and I—I I think your body changes after you have a baby, yeah, um, ridiculously. And I found that my body was reacting when I was having dairy. So, I love cheese. Cheese is my life. I still have this beautiful obsession with cheese, and. After, just by simply sprinkling Parmesan on my Bolognese, I would wake up in the middle of the night scratching myself, like my chest and my arms with all these rashes throughout my body and I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And after having chats with you and my sister, both of you said it's most likely dairy. Mm. And I said, Oh, I can't be like I don't have that much dairy in my life. Literally, all I would have is cheese and milk in my coffee or tea. Like I'm not a big dairy person. Um, so I did decide to cut out cheese. And while I was at it, I said to myself, Well, I'm not a big meat eater. I will cut it all out. So I cut out sugar, meat gluten literally did a bet diet. Yeah, except
0: I was <laughs> eating whole animals
1: and you were
0: yes. you were eating plants.
1: <laughs> and I found that I felt so much better. The rashes went within two days. It was so quick. Um I found better alternatives so I could still feel that I was having naughty food. Still, you know, I made my vegan cheese and I f- I felt good. I felt internally clean. I felt lighter. I didn't bloat. Um, but then as time went on, um, I felt weak and weak in energy. And so I decided to go get a blood test because I was looking at trying to conceive my second child. And I wanted to know that, I was healthy because I the, It felt like there was something wrong within me. And so I went because I, I went to the doctor and they said, are you doing anything differently in your diet? Because we can see things have changed. And I said, well, yeah, I've decided to go vegan. And I was lacking in so many vitamins. A B12, my iron was really low, which I'm naturally low anyway, so yeah. that wasn't a major thing for me. And they said, "You, if you're going to keep up with this diet, you will have to be taking quite a lot of supplements because the amount of food that you are taking in, because I eat like a bird, is not enough for you to produce a healthy baby, there might be issues and you your energy is very low. You are actually anemic right now. So I had to go get an iron infusion. And after doing that, I decided, well, I'm going to introduce dairy and meat back into my diet, but slowly. So I restricted myself, you know, once a week, and then the love of cheese came back. That's <laughs> just... Full therapy. <laughs> cheese
0: yeah. platters all
1: around. <laughs> I do love cheese. Like I have this weird obsession. Now it sounds pretty gross, but I just like growing up, so when my mum did the brothel, the soup, she would have this little piece of cheese on the side of her soup. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she'll have a scoop of soup and she'll take a nibble of her cheese. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I do now. But now, like if I'm doing, say, a a pasta and I'm putting some on top, I would actually get the cheese block
0: and eat it. Yeah, of course. Who does not do that? <laughs> my husband looks at me and goes, You're really weird. I'm like, I, love I mean, cheese. Daniel looks at me when I do stuff like that all the time. Last <laughs> night he he just he called me a hyena. He actually my <sighs> husband called me a scavenger because we had pork cutlets on the barbecue and my husband does not know how to strip the meat off his bones and anyone who knows me really well knows I have no shame I will strip that bone bare there's not one thing left on it I will eat the cartilage I will take every little thing that that you can possibly digest I would eat the bone if I could and he's just looking at me like are you all right I don't think there's anything left I'm like there's still some I'm getting it
1: my (laughs) husband
0: is exactly like that I'm watching (laughs) him eat chicken and I'm like wow mind blown but here you are in the kitchen taking nibbles out of parmesan blocks so don't judge <laughs> I love it I love cheese um so do I, I that was like... really difficult for me too that no cheese phase that no dairy it did not come naturally at all to me no, um cheese is like foreign. my my favorite snack as well like I'll be like lost without it today
1: well I remember so we went over to your house one day And I was not vegan at that stage and you were not having any dairy and you put out a beautiful platter and you said to me, all these cheeses are vegan. I had no idea that they were vegan. They tasted beautiful
0: Mm.
1: and delicious. And so then you went down the path of creating all these vegan cheeses and I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to cut cheese out, what's so hard? Like, let me do it. It's so easy to make, but you just have to be patient. Like yeah. if you want a Cummingbird, you've got
0: to wait a couple of weeks, oh, months I a month, think yeah. In that, yeah. yeah, that colony takes forever to grow that rind yeah. on the outside, yeah. So, but it's
1: worth it. It is it's worth so it. It did worth-
0: taste good, but I did like towards the end of that journey, I was really, I was really struggling. I was like this yeah. doesn't come naturally to me because I like – to be able to sit with my family and eat what they're eating. And I didn't like that my mum had to keep vegan parmesan cheese in her fridge. And she was just so accommodating for when we went over for dinner. She made sure that everything that I was gonna eat was gluten free and dairy free. But that's hard because, like, I'm an adult now and I know that, and I'm complaining about having to make two separate meals for kids. And my mum did it for a long period of time. I think that that part of my journey went for like, two and a half three years like it was huge that and I and just some people just got so over trying to please me that they would just make sure that there was steak and grilled sweet potatoes I felt like I was on like a competition diet again I felt like I was Every time I went over to someone's house, it's was like, I'm just eating grilled chicken or grilled fish or steak and just my my sweet potato blenders yeah. because they were just so worried. And it was really hard, like socially we're having so many restrictions. So, yeah, but definitely the cheese was something that I missed um, a great deal. But have you ever restricted anything else in your, in your life? Have you ever had any other moments mm-hmm. of crash dieting or food restrictions?
1: I don't think so to be honest. Like I think I'm not one for diets um to be honest. Like I love food. <laughs> and it was the one time you know where I decided well there's something not going right in my body. I need to change it. And ever since I went vegan, I've changed the way I eat dairy. So I now try to instead of just eating any kind of dairy I have gone down the path of raw food. So raw dairy. Mm. So where it's not as processed. Um, and I've even put, you know, my kids on it the same as well. So I try and find the purest form unhomogenized, um, dairy and I find I can digest it better and I don't have reactions to it. So, That way I've changed my thought process about how dairy can be consumed and I appreciate it a lot more now because I'm eating the right dairy that suits my body.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's good. Yeah. I want to know a bit about since you've got this quite holistic view of food and um, and I know that that's definitely something that you've tried really hard to bring into your family values and how you feed your children as well. But can we talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how food crept its way into your work um, with the Thermomix? Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, where do I begin?
0: <laughs> um, I So I got a
1: Thermomix... Um, a couple of years after being married and we moved to our first apartment in this tiny little kitchen and I didn't have space for any, uh machines. So I just, I saw my husband's auntie have one and I literally thought all it did was make bread.
0: <laughs>
1: so I was like, oh, yeah, like I said to my husband, I don't think we should get it. And he was sold and he said, no, let's get it. So, we bought it um and then, after i think it was like a year and a half, I just loved we sold our unit, we moved to another place because we moved so many times we have. <laughs> uh, and um, we were renovating our other place while um that we we're going to move next to you, and I literally felt like, um I wanted to do more and I found this love of creating dishes in the Thermomix that I would normally not cook and I decided to create my page, my social media page, and it just took off because one, I had no idea Thermomixes were a big thing. I had no (laughs) idea and now I do because I love them and I think if you would want one, it has to be on your benchtop don't buy one if it's going in the cupboard it's a waste of money
0: yeah,
1: but great. I I have I just grew a love for the Thermomix. so it just created um this um what can I say this process of creating a meal that I could involve my first son while I was cooking because he would say, mummy, what can I add or what can I do? Mm. And it was totally safe and he would sit on the benchtop and cook with me or if we are making bread, he would roll some piece of dough out with me and it just opened um, a new avenue of food for me because we were, doing an, we were making an experience and a memory together and his knowledge of food is so extensive because... He cooks with me and he knows his vegetables and he'll come shopping with me and put stuff in his shopping cart. Mm. Um, So I think the Thermomix has created this um, family unity where we can cook together or by ourselves and we've created this meal that we all love because you know what's going into it and that was the biggest thing for me is that I wanted to know what was going in my food, the food that I was feeding my children. And that was like the biggest thing for me because, you know, I did make it all the food for wild old babies and starting to to go on to um, purees. And I just enjoyed knowing that I'm feeding my children the best food I possibly can.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think I can definitely relate to a lot of that. Like I make all my own nut butters. Like we are obsessed with peanut butter and cashew and almond butter in this house. So I just thought it's just so much more economic. And I know that all I'm putting in there is pure, you know, nuts. Nuts. There's no preservatives. You don't have to add anything else. The Thermomix does it all for you. And I just really found in terms of that kind of prep, making my own flour combinations and you know, just simple things. And then especially when I did go on to have my, my kids, just that whole pureeing process just got so seamless that you felt like you could just be more adventurous with your food combinations for your own child and make sure that they were getting a variety of things. So it's definitely something that, um, I've appreciated having in our house and Aurelio just, I'm, I'm telling you, I reckon he was one when he learned how to, turn it off like when it makes the ding 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 noise here that big button they it's like they're born knowing that that's how you, yeah that's how you turn it on and off so, it's his version of an ipad <laughs> yeah basically and they do get really excited because there's noises yeah. coming out of it there's light and they can get involved and like you said it's a really safe way to involve your children in the kitchen as well because everything's done in that is. one bowl so
1: yeah yeah, we used to do a daily smoothie and Marco would put whatever he'd want inside and we used to dance for 30 seconds to the the thermomix going off like a rocket yeah. and we used to just have fun and dance to it. So it's creating memories and for me um, I, I, it's just a machine, okay? It's yeah. literally yeah. just Creative a machine. machine. But I have a pure appreciation for that machine because it does so many wonders and um, I, just, I just think it's the best thing a kitchen could have, really. It the is best awesome. Machine. And
0: I've been yeah. invited into so many um, kitchens at at really high-flying restaurants and the one that stands yeah. out to me was um, CPR, which no longer exists in Sydney because Martin Ben has moved to Melbourne and is doing incredible things there. But um, you know that that restaurant I when I got there and started speaking to the floor manager and um, he discovered that I had this incredible passion for food he invited me into the kitchen and I got to meet Martin Benton who is this incredible incredible human and I had like this 25 minutes to half hour conversation with him and I had received a lot of slack from so many people because I'm such a foodie and so cultural in my experience and they're like, well, why do you need a Thermomix? The Thermomix takes the joy out of the kitchen. And I'm like, it depends how you use it, first of all, and second of all, that's, you know, that's completely inaccurate and unless you had one, you wouldn't know the value that it can add to any kind of like cultural experience or whatever, any kind of food prep. And I asked um, Martin Ben, like, you know, I asked him about his um, perspective on the Thermomix because it was starting to boom around that time that I went and dined with him for the first time. And he said that he he loves them. He had a few in the kitchen. He saw that, a great, that they had a great place in his kitchen because there's just certain things that he can do with it and he can create some real magic with them and use it in ways that people don't know that it can actually function like the emulsifications and the temperature gauge on it and all of that was just such a great tool and he was using it in revolutionary ways like I was just mind blown when he was explaining to me how he he used it but that really um yeah that really kind of blew me away and I just thought I need to be more creative with my thermomix and Yeah, for people that do just instantly judge anyone with a thermomix that they're not really cooking, well, then you obviously haven't played with one and learned how it can just be such an aid in the kitchen. And Yeah. It can be.
1: Like there's so many people that could just use it for a single item. Like I know some people just use it for a blender or to knead their doughs or cut vegetables up, but I think personally like if you want it for that that's great like that's up to you but when you learn that the, what it can do it's getting your head around around it because when you buy it um you it just sits there and normally you'd go to a fry pan and fry your onion off or chop it all up and get all these utensils out but when you go oh wait the Thermomix can do it Oh, okay, I don't need to do that. Yeah, it makes your life so much simpler. And I think for people who are time poor, like mums, it just screams their name because I remember being like so tired with a newborn baby and going, "What am I going to cook today?" Yeah, that is—it's just like the hardest question. I would literally log on and go, "Oh, okay, it's five minutes of prep and then it's cooking itself. I don't need to do anything else." And that in itself is the seller like you don't have to do anything else and I just loved it I just loved I could be wholesome I could know exactly what's going in my food there's no additives no sugar added sugar you could adjust it adjust your diet when I was vegan I still used it when I had a baby I still used it when my family grew I could still use it it's so versatile that I'm like yeah it's my favorite machine <laughs> yeah
0: I love it as well like we use it every day in some capacity so but you've just um you took it a bit of a step further so you were um an awesome thermomix consultant but you also had this really really successful instagram page where you were sharing your food journey and you did that for some time I think until your second was born your second yeah. son so was your relationship with food through that period working with the Thermomix still as positive as what um, it is now, like that you've stopped blogging or was, did any um, baggage come with running this, like, cause you had quite an, uh, quite a huge following. <laughs> Everybody knows yeah. that you, that how much pressure can be involved in running a, a, a social media page that has the following like you had. So how were you feeling during that time?
1: Um, to be honest, I, I'm very like, I've got a a weird relationship with social media. I am quite a private person where even though I had a successful page, uh, 90% of the time I never showed my face. Um, or no, cause I'm just very private, nor did I really put my voice on any social media. Cause I just was didn't want people knowing who I was. And I found this pressure of, having to post something every day and being heavily pregnant with my second and having to create something that is post-worthy mm-hmm. is quite hard. And I remember I had my second and I was still, you know, coasting away and stuff like that. And it got to a stage where I, my mental state wasn't there and I, I thought to myself, oh, I don't know if I really – if this is me, I don't know. And one day I had finished work and I went to the bank and someone approached me and said, Oh, are you thermo mama? And I was very taken aback how they could know who I was when my face is not on (laughs) social media. And I said, Oh yes, yes I am. And I looked like Shit. I was having I was sleep deprived from my newborn baby and I was just really taken aback that someone could notice me from social media Mm. and I got to the point where I thought my mental health, my children, they're my focus. I don't shouldn't be focusing on getting more likes or more comments. Um, for what 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 am I gaining out of this and I decided to stop it because my priority was my family my other business and obviously my mental health so I, I kind of struggled with not having that avenue because I love sharing the the love and passion for food I loved getting people excited about it and trying new things that really filled me up but I decided to
0: what was more important at that point yeah i I loved that page I just want to say like <laughs> I, I got so many ideas that I kind of you know put in the memory bank for when my babies came along and um like what I will say is that even though there was all that going on for you is that your mm. followers would have never picked that up and that's no. what makes you so good at blogging and so good at what you do and so good at creating is because it was always a positive space and it wasn't just about the Thermomix. It was about no. the love that you had for your the ingredients that you were using and the people that were on, you know, that were on the receiving end of the meal. So, yeah, um, but yeah, I I think that there comes a certain point where we have where mum guilt comes in and we have to recognise is this going to make me a better mum? Like mm. I know with a lot of my um, ventures, that's the question I always ask: Is this activity that I that I'm go like even this podcast? Is this going to make me a better mum? And I I know wholeheartedly that I can answer yes to this because I find joy in having these conversations and collating these stories for my book is one day going to be amazing for my boys to read how much of a beautiful connection I've had with, with food. But yeah, we always have to ask that question. Is this good for my family? Is this good? Is this going to make me um, the best version of myself? So I think it's a hard yeah, question. Yeah, to, and you to can answer. get really lost in having the amount of followers that you had, and be like, "How can I step away from this I almost feel like I'm giving up on these people that are relying on me, or you know, like I feel yeah. like I'm abandoning my children. Almost, so. it was a
1: really hard thing to do, and I had numerous chats with my husband. Then he's like, "Just keep it going. You're doing so well," and I. Like, just something, like, was saying, stop, stop doing it. Because even if I created a dish, I'd be like, Dinner's ready, boys. They would all be sitting at the table and went, Hang on, like, Mum's going to get a photo. So, yeah. like, it was come, it came to that point where, Hang on, I need to post it to prove that I've made something today. And I, I just, I, I know, you know, my husband said, keep it. And I, looked at that delete button and I just pressed it and I felt like the biggest weight of my shoulders, you know, lifted. So it was good.
0: Yeah. It's very, very interesting. All right, Gab, we're almost coming to the end, but I do want to talk a little bit about you cooking for your beautiful family now. Um, I've enjoyed your food. We've, we've definitely, we've shared a lot of food over the years. We've, we've, um, you know, we've had, you know, dinners and lunches at each other's places and, When you were my next door neighbour, I used to love popping over with goodies and you used to do the same and it was just so Mm. such an exciting period of time to have this incredible foodie, amazing cook and mum living next door to me that I could learn so much from. So what is your headspace and what's it like cooking for your boys now, your hubby and your two sons?
1: Oh, okay. So my husband's pretty much my biggest critic. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. he would literally, he loves my food. He would say to me, I look forward to dinner every night. Like he loves my food and I always, on the weekends, I look forward to making him a coffee first thing in the morning and, you know, feeding him his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Cause I don't get to do that. I only do dinner on weekdays. And so I love, I have this love of feeding my family wholesome food and I think with my boys, I want to recreate what I had growing up in the aspect of sitting around a table and talking and creating memories together, which is what we do now. We talk about our day. We say, what did you do today? What did you like? What didn't you like? And I want it to create a positive outlook for them for food. So I, I'm just doing things a little bit differently, Um now so when I had my first they didn't have sugar or salt till they were two Mm. and that created a ripple effect of how he eats now where he won't eat dairy he won't eat sauce everything has to be separated Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah and you know we've got to create new get a new clean plate when he starts and I think that's what happens when you have your first child you everything has to be perfect and you stress and then the second child you're kind of more lenient with how they eat and what they eat and so with my second he would eat anything now like he's so open to different cuisines and foods where my first is a bit more hesitant so I find that if they help me cook they just like what you said before they're more open to eating and I try to get them to understand that food gives us energy especially boys because they have so much pent-up energy that yeah, they, they just do. need to they just need to feed their energy so they can go do their exercise and um, they, they're starting to learn now where they say oh this is giving me energy or oh this is very healthy and they've just started child care and Obviously, in childcare, they give them different food. And Marco refused food for two days because he said, no, that's not healthy. <laughs> I don't <want> that. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy said, that food's not healthy. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I'm trying to teach them um, what are good foods and what are sometimes food. And, like, I think these days our knowledge on food um, has improved. Back when we were growing up, there was no focus on food and how nutritious it is or what calories or sugar. You just ate whatever you were given because that was food and that was your source. But now everyone is so... Um, knowledgeable on what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat and I want to pass that down so you know when my boys grow up they know what's a sometimes food what oh maybe I shouldn't eat this right now maybe I should have some protein first before I go devour lollies or something that's not so good for me
0: yeah yeah it's interesting because when we were growing up our parents being, you know, immigrants especially, um, they came with their cultural dishes, you know, that's what they learnt. Nobody ever told them that, um, you know, any health issues or being maybe overweight or underweight had something to do with their cultural dish or their diet. And I think for the most part that that made them quite confident in themselves and, you know, set them up for a really good, perspective on food um, Mm -hmm. and not having a negative perception. But, yeah, there was minimal balance, like do we need to eat pasta every day? Can we maybe just mix it up and have some lean protein and some just some greens or something? Like it was just always – just drenched with flavor and excitement but yeah we do have so much knowledge today and it is a balance because like I want my kids to be culturally exposed and I want every single thing that they put in their mouth to taste delicious so you know I was laughing um last night because I try so many ways to make um vegetables exciting for my firstborn Aurelio he won't pick up a vegetable and when he was First, starting his journey, he ate everything that I put in front of him. So now I try and do different things with vegetables. And his new thing is, is that he'll just look at it and he'll go, that's yucky. Now mm. I steamed up some cauliflower and some broccoli last night and then absolutely drenched it in the most delicious bechamel <laughs> sauce and put like parmesan oh, yeah. mozzarella all over it and baked it in the oven. And it was so yum. Like it just felt so naughty. And it was so, so flavoursome. And I put it in his little separator plate, like his little elephant that's got its all its little compartments. And he had his sausage chopped up in one section. He had a little bit of his pastina because I knew that that's a safe food for him. So I always put something safe on his plate. And then I put him a scoop of the veggies. And he goes, I don't want that on my plate. That's yucky. And I'm like, oh. But who taught you the word yucky first of all (laughs) because that word doesn't belong in our house nothing is yucky and um anyway he just refused point blank to touch it but I just do so much work in trying to make everything tasty even the really healthy stuff um but yeah it's about that balance about full flavors and then just preserving the cultural (laughs) experience and sometimes just kids just have their own ways of doing things and it can be very infuriating but I was very much like you Aurelio was not and to this day I actually still don't give my kids refined sugar they know what sweet food tastes like um but I don't give them anything or much at all with anything refined in it so I try to do my best possible in that space but yeah in terms of helping them um, to be good eaters that doesn't doesn't really do anything because they can still just one day wake up and go, I've developed an attitude around your food and I'm just going to own that. So it can be difficult.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to, um, you know, I think as kids get older, they're like, no, I'm not going to have that. Mm. I'm not doing that. And I think for me, like I had that process with Marco when Alexi was born, it was so hard to get him to eat because it was for attention. So he decided not to eat at all because he wanted that attention and so we then decided okay well he's going to come shopping with us and put the items in the cart we'll add an extra task for him to learn and he loved that so much and then he goes oh is this one for dinner tonight mommy is this one and so I think we've got to try different ways to get them to open their their eyes and minds about different foods but like even now like with his sooty he'll put a souvra on and Marco will go pick up sticks to go put in the charcoals and warm them up because he knows oh it's time for me to help daddy with the barbecue he knows that these little traditions that we have created they're gonna keep on going and I want that to happen for him like you know even easter time I do um, ravioli with my family and we make the pasta fill it up my boys don't eat like like Mark would not eat that because it's got sauce number 1 and it's filled with cheese but I want him to do that just so he can see that the traditions that we have so he can carry that on when you know when he's older and know that food is like it's family you yeah. you're all together and you're creating a memory and that's what I think food is like I I think when you're creating it that's a memory in itself And then when you're eating it as well, that's a new memory. That's something totally different. And I think it's just if you put love into it, people will feel that and taste that.
0: Yeah, it's all about exposure and it's all about involvement. So, yeah. And we won't have any problems with this in like 15 years' time, Gab. We're going to be having, we're going to be laughing about this conversation because we've both got boys and um, we probably won't have enough food to keep them satisfied. (laughs) especially because we have very active boys like our boys are just bouncing off the walls so um yeah I think that and my husband always reminds me he's like it's not going to be like this forever one day we're not going to be able to satisfy their appetite so yeah try and try and just um be okay with the picky stage because they're going to be asking they're going to be asking for food the minute that they start growing up and understanding that they need it because they can't go on without it so it's crazy I think
1: it's just totally crazy they're going I even say now to Marka I say so you're gonna find a wife who can make her own bread make her own sauces nothing from the packet because this is what I do and he's like "Mummy, that of course she has to make
0: all this stuff yeah and we wouldn't accept anything less. the expectations they're very high watch out ladies <laughs> i'll buy her a thermo mix yeah. sorted. that's right <laughs> yeah
1: so it's unfortunate
0: that as i see the next generations coming in there's very few that have a natural flair in the kitchen so um yeah i think we've got uh, we do a great job of involving our kids in food prep and hopefully they develop a love because even though they're boys, that I, I have a firm belief that all people should, everyone, all both genders, anyone out there should know how to cook. Um, at least a few basic dishes should be comfortable mm-hmm. cooking and just preserving our culture as well. It's important to expose our kids to everything which we do so well. So.
1: Well, it's interesting because, like, if you look in professional kitchens, it's mainly male-dominant. Like, there's hardly any females. The first kitchen I worked at, there was two other females out of 25 chefs. Mm. So it's very rare for a female to be in a kitchen. So to see that at home, it's mainly the females cook, I think it's very important for men to learn to cook because it's very – It's very rare for them not to be. If you look as a professional side, it's mainly men. So Mm. it's possible. You just have, it's just, you've got to teach them and push them in that direction where they can be adventurous in the kitchen and try new things.
0: Yeah, that's right. I have two, two brothers and both of them are great cooks. I just want to give a shout out to my brothers and say, well done for actually taking an interest when we were all living at home because yeah, like we all learnt and, um, and I and I know that my brothers get into the kitchen a lot now and they create some pretty magical dishes. So it's very important. All right, Gab. So I am very, very excited that you have taken a bit of a leap and decided to start blogging a little bit again. So you've got <laughs> a new page and I know that yes. you, um, I don't know if you want to share that with everybody, but I assume yeah. that it's okay because you're going to be doing things at your own pace and Um, just sharing things that you love, no pressure, no strings attached. So how are you feeling about your new, your new kind of public space for creativity in terms of food?
1: Well, I'm just going to be doing it my way um, with no agenda behind it. So, you know, with my previous page, obviously it was to help with my sales as a consultant. So This page is just sharing my love for food and it's not going to just be thermomix related because not everyone has a thermomix and I just love to share what I cook. There's no goal. There's just a simple, just like a simple love I want to share that I was doing before but I want to do it my way and I'm ready mentally um, to do it. And I think a fresh start will be better for me.
0: Yeah. So it's Gabrielle's kitchen, <laughs> right? I'm just going to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I literally opened it yesterday. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's going to be amazing. And yeah, by, by the time the podcast I'll airs, that'll, the page will look very different and be very populated with all your awesome dishes. And I'm really excited because I do like, the digital space for that purpose and that's even if you don't have a huge following the people that do that you know you've got your friends and your family that might you know be on your page and it's a great way to share and connect with the people that you've already got in your life not just whoever else is out there in you know the digital world but um yeah I think it's great avenue for even us to just be able to do that sharing again and um yeah, try each other's recipes and ask more questions and get the exposure and the confidence to do more exciting things in the kitchen. So it's good, guys. Well that's what it is. Like I
1: feel like now I've got I've moved again. <laughs> yes. Too far away
0: from me. I've also moved, but now you're too you're too far. It's not that bad.
1: But I locked down again. It
0: feel far. <laughs>
1: um and I've got a massive kitchen which makes me want to cook these beautiful meals and try new things, and I've got the time to do it because when you've got a newborn, it's very hard to be adventurous in the kitchen. Mm. So now my babies have grown that I've got some time where I can go, oh, what can I do today? What can I do that will fill my joy up, my joy of cooking? So I'm trying to do things that... Um, that are adventurous and is just really really just sharing the love so I'm looking forward to
0: it yeah so am I all right <laughs> Gab. well I'm really excited for what lies ahead for you um and Thank I'm you. definitely excited to soon be able to share a meal with you when this dreaded lockdown <laughs> is over hopefully and <laughs> have our boys play together and eat together again and yeah, so I just want to wrap up with just one final question for you. In consideration of everything that we've spoken about today, could you just tell me what place does food have in your life?
1: Oh, well, um, food. Food is, so if I'm having a bad day, which can happen with kids, or a sleepless night, and if I'm having a really shitty day, I actually look forward to cooking dinner so that it's kind of like it grounds me in a way that I know even though I'm having the shittest day of my life um, or I'm dog tired, I know that I'm feeding my family with love. Like I'm feeding them a wholesome meal and I actually look forward to it. I look forward to cooking. I love being in my kitchen and I've got such a great relationship with food that I look forward to where birthdays happen that I can go over the top and do a full course meal Mm -hmm. and make everything from scratch and know and show my loved ones how much I love them and how much they mean to me and so for me food has a positive um, outlook for me now I don't have that love-hate relationship it's just love and I want to share that with people so not just my family I want to share it with my friends and I want to share it with on my new posts that I can show people well food is not just a source of energy and a source of um of a of a meal I want to sh- I want to show them that hang on I can enjoy making this I can enjoy feeding it and sharing it with other people and it's not a chore because for me the beginning it was a chore for me to eat and I want to share that
0: food can be enjoyable yeah i love it thanks gab it's been awesome thanks for having me no anytime um for all of you out there wanting to see some of gab's recipes and some of her cooking adventures you can have a look at her instagram page it is at underscore gabrielle's kitchen thanks again thank you If you'd like to connect with me, you can reach out on my socials at podcast. That's on Instagram and Facebook, or you can even drop me an email forforksakepodcast at gmail.com.